Welcome, Fantasyland. We have a great bonus Goat District podcast for you tonight with an absolutely smash guest. Uh, so, without any further ado, You know the Pope listens Dynasty our religion For the blokes missing On all of these trades On all of these plays On all of these grades By the end of the day Y'all getting played So what you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex Send the homie a text That trash offers the best You try to make it complex Then they text you back Now all of a sudden They don't make any sense <laughs> Broaden your horizons boy Dynasty's not for the Simons boy Trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice from me to you. Open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up G-O-A-T District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the... And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. All right. I got to admit, this is a first. I, I don't think that I've done a, a podcast right pre-NFL game like this before. So uh, really looking forward to this, uh, you know, getting getting amped up to uh, talk a little football and then watch a little football. So let me bring on my co-host. Welcome, Theo. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm, I'm excited for the podcast. I'm excited for a little uh, Thursday night. Um, we have a lot of guys that uh, we have exposure to in tonight's game. A lot of Carolina Panthers, a little bit of Brandon Cooks. So uh, I'm excited to get the, the week off to a good start. And I'm excited about the guest we have tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And if uh, if you have exposure to anybody on Houston other than Brandon Cooks, uh, I feel sorry for you. And please fix that. So, uh, But without further ado, we're gonna, we, we need to get right into the goodness here because we got an hour and we, we don't want to waste any of it on uh, a, a bunch of fluff. So we're going to bring on our guest. Welcome, uh, Ben Gretsch. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome. If, if you will, Ben, just kind of give us a, a, a quick little summary. When did, when did you get into fantasy and uh, how did you get into to being an analyst? And, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about stealing signals as well. I got into fantasy when I was 12 years old. No joke. I, I was uh, I was a nerd as a kid. I mean, I was like I played a lot of sports, but I was definitely a math kid. I, I liked uh, numbers and stuff. And so I found uh, a fantasy it was, I think, like a sporting news magazine pre, uh, preview article or, mega, uh, excuse me, preview magazine for the season. I found like a three-page thing at the back of it that had fantasy football. It was 1999 was the first year I played. And it was like, you know, schedule template, rankings template, and uh, scoring system and all this stuff. And I, I got, I was riding the train home from my grandparents' house, couple, like a multi-state train ride. Got home, got my brothers, started a league. They're older brothers, but I was the one that ran the league. Literally still run that league, uh, you know, 22 years later. So that's how I started. I was always really big into fantasy, really enjoyed it, uh, you know, through high school, through college. Uh, started writing just in 2015 at, uh, over at Rotoviz. Um, but yeah, stealing signals. I started at Rotoviz. I, I did it at Roto Grinders for a year. I did it uh, at CBS for a year because I landed there, 
and then it's been this is the second year now in in a newsletter form a premium newsletter so uh it's a weekly article it's a recap article mondays and tuesdays where i break down every game kind of a fancy football focused recap uh and then i highlight like what the signal and the noise was for every game sort of the you know the bite-sized piece that people like for anyone who wants to read the whole thing it's super long i don't know how anyone can read it but there are people that read the whole thing (laughs) For anyone that wants to read it, I'm basically just going through my process. Here's what I saw. Here's what I now see in the numbers as I'm going through the data. Because I watch every game, you know, I'm taking notes on everything I see, but also everything that I see in the data. Uh, and here's what I think it means going forward. What signal? What's noise? What's gonna, you know, what's gonna dictate what we see the rest of the way, which is really what matters. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, I'm a subscriber. Um, I highly recommend it. It's it's easily the best newsletter or fantasy football email that comes in. Um, I think that, you know, no matter your process, it's going to make you a smarter fantasy football player, uh, you know, to subscribe to that. Um, you also use a lot of interesting stats in the way you analyze games um, that I think is, is kind of a cut above. Um, maybe you could talk a little bit about unselling signals, um, you know, your, your approach to green zone, the high value touches. Um, obviously, we, we, know, we know about targets per route run, but you use a, met, a metric called trap. Maybe you could share just a couple of these uh, metrics that help you analyze uh, the game a little bit better. Sure. Yeah. The high value touches trap, those are all running back ones. Um, we know that, you know, we're looking for receiving upside and touchdown scoring potential. Those are, those are huge. The high value touches looks at all the touches inside the 10 yard line and then all receptions. That's about 25% of all running back touches. You, you, know, you kind of, I, I don't know. I kind of thought it would be more than that, right? The other 75% are just rush attempts outside the tent. So those are low value touches. Those are between the 20s carries, right? Um, the 25% that are the high value touches account for almost 60% of all running back PPR scoring, right? So that's what we want our guys to have is a lot of those. There's guys that have these. Uh, empty workloads, they get tons and tons of touches, but so many of them are, are low value touches. They're not getting the touches that generate fantasy points. And so there's a lot of ways you can look at that. Obviously, there's the expected points models. There's all these things. What I like about high value touches, the reason I, I've used that and, and continue to focus on that, number one, it's pretty easily to, easy to understand. We all know, you know, touches. We can look in the box score and we know a well, running back got 25 touches. It's not that hard to go one step further and say, okay, these are the ones that were inside the 10 that had a really high probability of scoring TDs. These were the receptions. Those, I mean, those are the key ones, right? And then number two, it's not too specific, right? Like, be, like we can go into inside the five or, or goal line touches, but there's a lot of variance in how, how many plays a team actually runs inside the five because you can score touchdowns from further back and all these types of things. So trying to identify role, which backs are actually playing sort of inside the 10, which – Every yard line inside the 10 does have a, a, a pretty high touchdown scoring potential higher than outside the 10. Once you start to get further outside the 10, it's almost like every yard line beyond there is pretty close in terms of you know having a pretty low touchdown scoring potential. You have to break something. Um, so anyway, inside the 10, this is like the, the green zone. This is where you can score TDs. That's where a ton of the running back TDs come from. I don't remember the exact number, but a really high percentage. Um, and so we're, we're looking for that. We're looking for – and then – yeah, I mean, obviously the receptions are huge. And, and so those are the things that we're looking for uh, at running back. Trap is trivial rush attempt percentage. It's a uh, an acronym my buddy Packerang came up with. It was, it was high value touches as a percentage of total touches, right? And it's actually the, the inverse. So low value touches, the higher the trap is worse. But like 
it's giving you a percentage of what what percentage of the players overall the running backs overall touches are high value touches and so we have the pass catching backs they're always going to have low traps which is good uh, but at the same time they don't necessarily have the ability to work in the three down work uh roles so we have to keep that in mind you know Naheem Hines having a really low trap doesn't necessarily mean he's gonna be a superstar but we are looking for guys that have low traps that are in split backfields you know, immediate, immediate guys that come to mind are like back in the day, David Johnson is a rookie year guy was getting goal line work and was catching passes as a part-time guy behind Chris Johnson. That was like, okay, now when this guy gets a full workload, he's going to have a massive ceiling. He's going to have the things that we want, touchdowns and receptions. De- uh, Devonta Freeman, same thing, coming into that year that he had a great year in 2015. He was clearly going to be the high-value touchback alongside Tevin Coleman. Now, I wasn't doing this back then. I didn't predict that or anything. But you can look back and say Coleman was was expected to be sort of the early down back. Freeman was going to be the passing downs back. Coleman gets hurt early that year. And what happens when when the early down back gets hurt, a lot of times the passing down back can consolidate the work, already has the high-value stuff. Now they fill out a, a bigger workload, and they have this you know big ceiling. They can be an overall RB1. That's the Christian McCaffrey workload. That's the Alvin Kamara workload. Those are the things that we're looking for that have real, real ceilings. Um, at the same time, you know, if you focus too much on that stuff like I do, then you fade Derrick Henry every year, and then you get you get stomped in week two, like I like I did last week. <laughs> it's the process. It's the process. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And that, I, I think that's great stuff. Um, and that was just kind of a little bit of a taste and. And I, I, I do read most of it. Um, you know, I think that it's, it's very, it's very uh, action-packed. If you really want to hone in on looking at a particular game, it's kind of very easy to, you know, scroll up and find that. It's, it's very, very well done. And we're also both really enjoying uh, the Scaling Bananas podcast with John Siegel. Um, and I highly recommend that one as well. Um, and you guys are doing that uh, twice a week for the whole season, Ben? Three times a week. So we do a three Sunday times. recap show. Yeah. Sunday recap show and then a couple more on uh, which which posts on Monday and then a couple more Wednesday and, and Friday. Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. That's awesome. Highly recommend that as well. Um, so last week we had the Elijah Mitchell uh, craziness where, you know, uh, Ben Ben and, and Dan and I all play FFC, NFFC. Um, so we saw some truly remarkable bids for, for Elijah. I won some Elijah happy with the volume, uh, you know, not necessarily the results, but um, that's another story. I'm curious um, who you guys won on waivers this week um, and guys you were guys were big for. Um, we could start out with uh, with Ben on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, no one huge. It took a couple small shots at Jock Patrick and, and Quintus Cephas is, is, I think, one of the better wide receiver bets you can make kind of all season. Second-year player, we know that's an upside year. Better profile than sort of his, you know, draft capital suggests. Had some weird stuff in his, you know, in his past, um, but has looked good through two weeks. There's certainly an opportunity with Alliance. He could be the number one receiver the rest of the way, and they've looked better than, than maybe we expected. A little bit more feisty than we expected. Hawkinson and Swift looking good. I think is uh, is a bull case for the whole offense in the sense that, you know, maybe that's not great for the receivers leading in targets or anything, but they're going to be able to score touchdowns. We we saw Cephas score both of the last two weeks. Um, those are good things. So I like I like to see Fis picked him up in a couple spots. We had Zach Moss dropped in one, so we we spent a decent amount to to go grab him. A lot of kind of zero RB built, so just fluc- you know fluctuating with uh, some running back targets. Justin Jackson got cut, then his role looked better in week two. Scooped him up in a couple spots. Um, 
yeah, a lot of those types of you know just taking taking the the, the running back churn and taking more shots at, at hitting something big there. How about you, Dan? Yeah, pretty much the same. Uh, you know, I I got a little bit of cheap Trenton Cannon. I picked up. Uh, I, there was a JD McKissick dropped in one of my NFFCs, so uh, I put in a, a healthy bid for him and won him. Uh, I was uh, I, I, I did a lot of uh, late round quarterback this year. You know, kind of drafting like a you know a, a Justin Fields and something. You know, like a you know Tua was one I had a, a fair amount of. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick was one I had a fair amount of. So uh, I have been in the quarterback market for the last couple of weeks. So I uh, picked up some David Carr last week and this week I picked up some Daniel Jones this week. Uh, you know, again just trying to shore up that position. And then uh, there were some scattered spots where I got some KJ Osborne. Uh, you know, it it, it looks like he's uh, probably going to be the benefactor of uh, Irv Smith being out in Minnesota more so than uh, Conklin is. So uh, taking some shots on him. But yeah, just kind of it wasn't you know like a, a huge week on the waiver wire. It was more of a week to just kind of uh, you know pick a little bit at the bottom of your roster and just, uh, you know, swap out some guys that just really haven't shown anything for a couple of weeks and try to put a couple more interesting people in, in that place. How about you, Theo? Do you get any uh, big guys or? Well, I, I got a, in NFFC, I was pretty aggressive to get Cephas and, and Osborne where I could. Um, I had some Cordero Patterson, um actually from the second waiver wire run last week um, where he wasn't picked up. I was able to pick him up for cheap, which I'm glad I did. Um, he's kind of interesting, I think, against the Giants this weekend. I'm, I'm a little bullish on him. And then I actually picked up some Jack Doyle um, in FFPC. I think that he's a little bit better than we expected. Um, and I and I got him for pretty cheap um, for tight end depth. So I think it was a cleanup week. I think, um, you know, you guys bring up J.D. McKissick being cut. Um, this is kind of the wacky week. If for FFPC, even if you look at the main event drops, if you look at the NFFC primetime drops, there's always some guys that shouldn't be dropped as people start to seem. So anybody listening, you know, be prepared to, to see some interesting names week three and week four. Um, you can kind of see some some players that should not be available in other teams. Um, and pivoting off of that, tonight on Thursday night game, um, you know, a lot of people are excited to see Christian McCaffrey, which obviously is one of the most exciting players in football. But I'm really excited to see DJ Moore. This seems like this is finally the DJ Moore wide receiver one season that we've all been waiting for. Um, ben, I know you have a lot of DJ Moore as well. Um, maybe you could talk about your expectations for him uh, moving forward and uh, your thoughts on what you've seen in the first two games. Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of DJ Moore is almost somehow an understatement for me. I have a lot of DJ Moore. I, I, I mean, I've been very pumped. I, I wrote this offseason about this concept I was calling situation regression. Like we talk about statistic regression a lot. We talk about efficiency, how, you know, specific numbers that need to regress to the mean. The point I tried to make was sometimes a guy's situation, non-quantify or, you know, quantitative stuff, right? Like uh, Diggs was the example I used. When he was in Minnesota, his situation was terrible for him to be successful. They had him in a deep threat role. Uh, in 2018, they had him in a shallow role. Then in 2019, they, they put him in a deep threat role. His ADOT changes, I think, six and a half yards one year to the next. And he's he's productive in both. Um, but especially the deep threat role, he doesn't even get to 100 targets in an offense that was really run heavy, even with Thielen hurt that year. Then he gets traded in the offseason, and the point was like, okay, well, 
if they just treat if the Bills just treat him like a number one, he's going to be a star because he's really good. He's shown me that he's good at all depths. He can do all of the things that you need to do as a receiver. And so that was sort of the comp with DJ Moore this year, and that was the hope because last year he was in a deep threat role. He had Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, not necessarily perfectly suited to to Moore's skill set. Bridgewater actually looks great so far with the Broncos. I mean, it's weird because last year, I mean, I stand by my, my opinion. He was not good for DJ Moore last year. There were several plays where they were close to some big plays and, and things just did not click for whatever reason. Um, but, yeah, what we wanted to see from Moore was more opportunity to get some targets in the intermediate and shallow depth, which we've already seen them him succeed at. As a rookie, he did that very, very well. His dot moved in his second year to basically around league average, and it really that was his best year so far uh, of his career. But he got hurt in week 16, hurt his calf after like five snaps, missed all of week 17. He winds up playing 15 games, but really it was 14 games. And if you, if you look at his year two numbers i mean for for a 14-game season they were fantastic they, they basically paced to like michael thomas's second season and that was something i was saying before last year well then he goes and he has a pretty poor third season relative to expectations but good from an efficiency standpoint was good down the field was still productive and it was like look we knew this guy was really good as a prospect every role they're putting him in at the nfl level he's succeeding at every depth he's succeeding with yak he's been an efficient rusher when they've given him rushing opportunities and he succeeded um, downfield now is a deep threat. All we need is the Carolina coaches to go back, look at film, and say, we need to get this guy the ball more. We need to manufacture touches for him closer to the line of scrimmage. Through two weeks, that's all we've seen this year. They gave him a jet sweep on the in the first game. They gave him a handoff. They put him back for a punt return, which is like they're trying to get the ball in this dude's hands. And they did it again last week. He hasn't actually – I'd actually like to now start seeing some more downfield targets, which is what we were seeing too much last year. I want to get a few air yards on top of this. I'm getting greedy, but – I mean, his workload through the first two weeks, he's, he's basically buried Robbie Anderson. That's what Robbie Anderson was doing so well last year, those underneath targets. Robbie Anderson now looks like a you know sporadic deep threat or something. Moore looks like he's going to be an absolute star. He has the efficiency. He had the prospect profile. He is a stud, and now he's going to get the actual opportunity to rack up tons of targets. Uh, he's going to break some big plays. He's going to make those yak plays. I've been comparing it to like early Odell Beckham where he would take slants to the house. We're going to see some of that. We saw that last year on one of his very few short targets. He took a, an out pattern to the house against the Saints. He's got that ability, and he's going to—I mean, he's going to blow up. I'm, I'm very, very excited about what he's going to do. Yeah, he's, he looks like an absolute stud right now. I think if 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 we redrafted today, he's one guy that would move would have moved up uh, tremendously um, based on where he was going. Even you know, he it, the market started to correct itself a little bit when you got into Vegas. But he was still like, you know, an early fourth, late, late third occasional guy. And he looks like a potential league winner. Uh, Dan, what are you what are you thinking with DJ Moore this year? Yeah, same thing. I mean, it, you know, the, the thing I was most curious about was would he retain the same role from last year or would they would they either flip him or, you know, expand him into the area that Robbie Moore was working? And uh, we've definitely seen our answer on that, you know, so far. So. It, it's great to see. Uh, I was probably a little bit more cautious than Ben, but I think probably almost every football fantasy football player in America was a little more cautious than Ben when it came <laughs> <laughs> to drafting DJ Moore. But uh, you know that's good. I mean, you gotta you gotta have your guys, right? I mean, you know, I I, I am Mr. AJ Brown and uh, AJ Brown till I die, but uh, I, I certainly like me some DJ Moore too, and uh, you know, more than more than happy to have a few shares of him uh, running 
running through my uh, rosters. So, yeah, I, I, I like what he's been doing. And, uh, you know, hopefully it, it continues to go. And, you know, really with Robbie Anderson, that was the one where I was disappointed because I, I probably grabbed even maybe a little bit more Robbie Anderson than DJ Moore just based on price point. And, uh, you know, now it's looking like I probably should have just gone a different way with those shares and, uh, you know, been picking up uh, Darius Slayton for even cheaper uh, yeah. and getting pretty much the same production. But, uh, you know, you, you're not going to win them all. Um, one, one other one other player who's absolutely smashing right now is Debo Samuel. Um, he started the year with 289 yards receiving on 15 catches. Uh, it's just insane. Uh, his metrics are up there in any single wide receiver metric you can you can look at. Um, and conversely, George Kittle only has nine targets so far. Are we seeing an offensive change in San Francisco? Is it Debo season, or is are you expect Kittle to pick up and, and it gets a little more even? All right, I think we're going to get a monster Kittle game really soon. You were yeah. talking about targets per outrun. Um, <clears throat> he's right around like 20 20- percent of his routes he's being targeted on right now the last three years he's been at least at 26 percent, which is elite i mean he's been over 30 percent one of those years 28 percent. so he's down a little bit in terms of drawing targets per route um and he's been very consistently great at that um he also <laughs> always i'm always drinking course shout out <laughs> shout out to william Stevenson in the, in the yeah. chat um but yeah no he, he what we saw in week one was he was held in to block a ton. His routes were like around 50%. can't remember the exact number. Week two, he was up at 88%, and he still only draws four targets, which is just very unkittle-like. Like that, that's just one of those fluky – the target variance is a thing with pass catchers. And so, yeah, week one was tough. They held him in to block a lot. They do that sometimes. We know that with Kittle. Uh, but then the week two outcome was just like one of the biggest noises for me and my stealing signals this week. You, you don't see George Kittle run routes on 88% of dropbacks and only earn four targets. It just doesn't happen. Um, and the fact that they're not, you know, they didn't show us again in week two that they're like doing something where they're going to keep him into block 50% of the time all year or anything like that. We, we immediately saw his routes jump back up. That's where I was like, okay, well, we're going to have a big game soon. I don't know if it'll be week three. I don't know if it'll be week four, but um, I'm going to be playing him in DFS this week to, to see if it's going to be week three, because I think if, it, you know, you see those 88% routes last week, he knows George Kittle, like he draws targets, he draws targets. He's going to, he's going to have a big game soon. Now, now is definitely the time to drop those offers for Kittle and Dynasty. Yeah. Uh, you know, get them out there. You know, I we were talking with uh, Andrew Cooper uh, a couple days ago, and and uh, I I kind of liked his take on uh, Kittle. And what he was talking about was, uh, you know, the first week they just really didn't need him. Uh, you know, they got out to a laughably big lead pretty quickly, and you know, defensive scores, everything else. And then, uh, you know, it, it could be that Philadelphia is just real good at defending the tight end. And, you know, they didn't let Pitts exactly go off. So, uh, you know, that that could have something to do with it, too. But, yeah, I, I, I'm seeing the same thing on the routes run and, uh, you know, getting those targets in there. And I, I think the big game is coming. So, I'm, you know, like I have a, a league where I've got a I've got Kittle and Gronk and, uh, you know, it's an NFFC. So. I have just one flex spot, and uh, I have I have Kittle firmly in the tight end spot, despite the fact that Gronk has heavily outscored him, just because I think that's the way you got to play it. And, uh, you know, Gronk is one of those people that I'm still trying to decide, do I jam him into my flex or, you know, jam somebody else like uh, Rondale Moore or somebody in there. So that, that's where I'm at on it. How about you, Theo? I, I have actually a good amount of George Kittle in NFFC teams. Um, 
probably not as much uh, in the high stakes FFPCs this year. Um, I haven't been football guys and whatnot, but um, in the the high stakes NFFC leagues, he was falling. Uh, so I grabbed a lot of fourth round Kittle. So I'm uh, I'm 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 happy to hear Ben and Andrew this week kind of get me a little hype on that. Um, and yeah, I expect them to, to turn around as well. And uh, Dan, don't don't drunk um, in your in your in your flex. Um, I made that mistake last week. I benched uh, Gronk I, for for Jim Waddle, and uh, it's it was it was a tough one. It was a tough one on a, on a pretty high stakes team. Um, and then, yeah, he, he's in there right now. So Waddle was rough it. last week just because. I mean, you lose your quarterback right away, and then mm-hmm. and then Brissett just can't get anything going. Like I, I played Waddle in a couple leagues too, and it's like, man, this. It's not the play that I thought I was making. Yeah, absolutely not. Yeah, I was when I saw when I saw Will Fuller out. I said, "Okay, all right, we saw what Waddle could do week one. This is going to be volume time for for Waddle." And I, I got I got pretty gassed up, and uh, it, it was disappointing. Um, Debo, you you expect him to to stay in that wide receiver two ish range? Do you do you see him as potential as a potential for a wide receiver one season? Then, or are you are you kind of tepid on your yeah, expectations? I mean- I, I was very optimistic on him. I have a lot of him too, so I'm definitely excited about that. I thought his price was kind of silly all off season. So I actually don't have any IUK and anything high stakes because I was playing it through Debo, um, which is you know not necessarily that I didn't like IUK. It just was a price thing. I mean, we were just talking about it like with Moore and Anderson. It happens sometimes. It works in your favor. Sometimes it doesn't. Ayuk was uh, is such a is such a wild card right now, right? Like I think he's gonna have to play more at some point, and he's too good to 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 not come in and and start you know start producing a little bit at some point. I don't know what the deal is there. I mean, we're all kind of wondering what the deal is there. The issue for Debo will be the air yards, the downfield targets when Ayuk is more integrated, because when he was Ayuk was getting more of the downfield targets, right? What what Debo's been thriving on is he gets the jet motion tip passes he gets these free receptions and creates the act on the line of scrimmage it's very similar to the dj Moore thing he's getting these you know design touches that are also getting us free ppr points on these you know tip passes and he's getting air yards and he's getting downfield targets um will that stick all year that's i mean i think that comes down to when we see brandon Ayuk to some degree but right now it's beautiful, obviously, for Debo. He's getting everything. You know, you want that. You want all those depths of, of targets. Yeah, no, I'm 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 excited for Debo as well. Um one guy kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum um from Debo is Chase Claypool, um, who's off to a very slow start. Air yards are there, the production just isn't. Um, this was a player that was being drafted consistently in the in the fifth and sixth round, um, in especially in the main events, um, you know, in the NFFCs as well. Um, what are your expectations for, for Chase Claypool moving forward? Um, and a little bit on the Pittsburgh entire offense. I know this week it might end up being Mason Rudolph, but maybe with, with Big Ben, um, kind of your expectations for that offense and Claypool? Yeah, I mean, Roethlisberger, it's funny. Like, uh, I've had this conversation a couple times this week, and like, I'm like, man, he looks bad. And people are like, yeah, but he's looked bad for for a couple of years. And like, yeah, that's true. But like somehow he looks worse now. <laughs> like he's he is not throwing the ball very well at this stage. Claypool had what, like nine targets, 174 air yards. I think it was tons of volume, caught three passes, did get one 50 yard catch, get 70 yards receiving. But, you know, last year, the joke with Denzel Mims was, you know, we we're calling all of his air yards prayer yards because. They're just you know thrown up to him and hey go make a play in double coverage. Some of Chase Claypool's air yards feel like prayer yards at this point. Like it's mm-hmm. not like 
there's going to be a, a you know a clear way that he's going to regress to and to catch a lot more of these air yards when Ben Roethlisberger can't really throw the ball down the field uh, with any kind of you know um, whatever arc. I mean, it's yeah. just like a papa. I mean, whatever. I'm not a I'm not a scout of, of throwing you know trajectory, but it's not it's not. I watch a lot of football. It's not what it's supposed to yeah. look like. I can it's, tell you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To put it, use a baseball term, it looks more like a can of corn than anything. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think with with the offense, like Roethlisberger can be fine for Deontay Johnson for Juju. If Pat Freermuth breaks out for Najee Harris is receiving all that stuff that's underneath. Yeah. I mean, he's still been pretty accurate. He's still, you know, Deontay's caught plenty of balls these first couple of weeks because a lot of that has been underneath. Claypool's the one guy that like you have to be pretty concerned about whether he's just going to be you know the wind sprinter the guy that's just running downfield but they're not actually completing a lot of downfield passes right he'll probably have some big plays he'll hit on some stuff they did use him on some you know jet motion type plays near the goal line last year he had a couple uh, at least one rushing touchdown i think I mean, yeah they, they use his athleticism in different ways i, I don't think he's going to be horrible but it's not great for like a breakout i mean i i'm pretty down on him having like a, a breakout season at this point is the way i put it Right. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. So with um, with Deontay Johnson looking like he may be out on Sunday, is there any particular way you're playing it for DFS or, you know, for your season-long lineups, any, any players you're looking to jam in there that you would normally maybe have on your bench? I think that makes me more excited about Juju. I mean, Juju mm-hmm. in Week 2 looked more like uh, last year. His ADOT was really, really low. In week one, he got a few more area. He got more intermediate stuff. And that's sort of the, the thing. Is he only getting targets like within five yards? Like, is he getting tight end targets? Or is he going to get some intermediate stuff? If Deontay's out, I think Juju gets that role, basically. He gets a lot of that intermediate stuff. James Washington will be in there and be interesting as well for DFS as a cheap player. But he's more of like an overlap skill-wise with Claypool. More of a downfield guy. He can do some stuff in the intermediate range, but I don't know. It makes me think that Juju could get it, you know, hopefully for, for people like me who still have some faith in Juju for whatever reason, hopefully he can get a 10 target game and, and, you know, have a nice day himself. Yeah. I'm hopeful for Juju as well. I'm going to be using him this weekend with confidence. Um, Justin Fields, we've been waiting for this and we finally get Justin Fields starting a game for Chicago this weekend. Um, Dan and I have Justin Fields on one of our main event teams. We're excited. Um, and I know that you have a lot of exposure to him as well. Yeah. What are your expectations for Fields? And how do you think that he um, – how do you think that the the Bears' weapons, the the Moonies, the Robinsons, maybe the David Montgomerys and, and Cole Komets do with Justin Fields? I mean, anytime you have a running quarterback taking over – there's questions about the basically the overall volume because anytime the quarterback takes off and runs, it's not a touch for the running back. It's also not a reception for any other player, right? So like we saw that we've been seeing that with Jalen Hurts a little bit. They, they've been all right with the Eagles, but he runs like ten times a game, Hurts, and so and I kind of think that's what we're going to see with Fields. Like we, he actually scrambled seven times last week. He ended up with three kneel downs, so he ends up with ten rush attempts. But we're going to probably get eight to ten rushes, and that's a pretty big chunk of your overall play volume. At the same time, I, I, I love Fields. You're right. I, I have a lot of him. I think he's a fantastic talent. I don't understand why he slips in the draft at all. Um, he, he scrambled as much in college, like for in terms of his profile, scrambled as much in college as basically as Kyler, ten, about 10 times per game in his college career. 
Kyler was more efficient as a scrambler, but like pe- people were talking about maybe Fields isn't really that much of a scrambler like he is. He's a he's a four three forty guy who ran ten times a game in college. We're gonna see that probably in the NFL, especially when he's you know young. You know, quarterbacks tend to run more in their first couple of seasons. And then he was PFS like highest graded accuracy passer, which was something that perked my ear up. I think accuracy is the most translatable trait for rookie quarterbacks like arm strength arm talent all that stuff really matters but you got to be able to fit the ball into tight windows at the nfl level that's what matters the most all these guys can throw hard enough but like can you anticipate can you throw to where you know when somebody's grading it they're seeing a lot of consistently accurate passes that's that's what's going to translate um and i watched him like almost uh i I think i definitely watched all of the snaps in the preseason because i was super excited um and and definitely last week he was way more accurate than his stats in the preseason or last week will indicate because he had a drop in both of his biggest uh, extended playing time games in the preseason and to a ball in each that like should have been caught. I in both cases I was he was playing with backups. I was like Allen Robinson catches that in my mind. But then last week he had a, a beautiful deep ball to Allen Robinson that Allen Robinson didn't bring in. And so, you know, it's been a little frustrating in some respects that his stats haven't uh, his passing stats fields haven't looked great. But he's throwing good balls. He understands where defenders are. He understands how to throw away from coverage. Like, I, I mean, just from somebody watching him, I, I, I am confident he's going to be a good passer. I was surprised. I mean, he made a really bad read into a bad interception last week. That surprised me because I didn't see a lot of that in the preseason. He looked good in the preseason. But at the same time, like, I'm confident that when he, you know, finds an open player and isn't just, you know, basically getting fooled by a de- you know, defensive lineman dropping into coverage, that he's gonna he's gonna hit accurate passes and, and they're gonna have some strong some some strong passing numbers. So I think that's good for A Rob. I think it's good for Mooney. I think it's good for Komet. I think it's good for the whole offense, right? In that regard. And uh, the the Browns are are you know obviously a very good team. You're playing in Cleveland. It's a tough first matchup. They're gonna put up points. I think Bears are gonna have to try to like keep pace a little bit. I'm really hoping it's not a slow game where the Browns just run a lot and and then Chicago kind of reigns in Fields. I'm hoping we get a little bit of, you know, back and forth, a little bit of uh, a shootout atmosphere, but I'm pretty pumped uh, about about Fields for sure. Yeah, Dan and I yeah, were actually I- having this conversation before the show. Um, <laughs> we have a we have a, on our team we go Derek Carr versus Justin Fields, and we're like, you know, Carr seems like a safe one, but we it's like a it's like a fear of missing out type thing when it comes to, to Justin Fields. So um, I, it's hard for me not to start him this weekend. Um, Andrew Schellenberg, who's another GOAT district member, and I are throwing Justin Fields in the event team that we share. I'm using Justin Fields over Joe Burrow uh, in a NFC primetime. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm, I'm throwing them out there where I can, um, unless I have a really, a really nice uh, you know, player I can start over him. And I do love the fact that he's starting in Cleveland for his first game, uh, playing at Ohio State. It's kind of like a, like a warm you know, crowd he's going to go into. It's going to be interesting to see because there's a lot of Ohio State fans in the in the uh, stands there, and uh, the kind of love he'll he'll see even though he's on the road. So I, I like that angle. Um, wanted to uh, get a little bit on Cooper Cup and Tyler Lockett, um, who look like they, they look like league winners right now. The way they're playing, um, two veteran wide receivers, and I wanted to see your expectation for those two guys moving forward and your take on the Rams and Seahawks offenses. Yeah, I like both the offenses so far. Um, I think with Cup and Lockett, you, I mean, my takes are sort of boring here, and I've been giving long takes, so we can, we can do a quick kind of boring one. It's like, look, there's positive signs. 
obviously at the same time we know receivers have these spike weeks we know that there's target you know volatility at the receiver position there's going to be some regression from some of this for cup uh he's run routes on 100 percent dropbacks both games which is huge for him he used to you know fall down to like 75 percent sometimes that was actually robert woods in week one week two woods jumped back up to like 97 percent though and i think that woods and cup are mostly going to be close but cup is probably going to be a little bit better the the routes um 100 routes for cup is a very positive sign he's always had a little bit better targets per out run their production has been similar despite cup running fewer routes in the past now cup's running more and he has sort of the better per route numbers i do think cup is going to be better than than woods the same time the gap is not going to be as wide as it's been woods is going to be productive at some point and and the exact same thing would be true with lockett and 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 metcalf other than the routes points but for the Seahawks, it's been very much the case. It's been a two-man passing game. The last two years, no other Seahawk has had more than 60 targets. So far this year, we've seen that uh, being the same. Like I, I'm excited about Gerald Everett, but part of the reason I didn't draft a lot of him was because the last couple of years, there's never been another Seahawk who had over 60 targets. And so far this year, I think it's like um, – I think it's 14 targets for both Lockett and Metcalf. They're at the same number and everyone else is is well behind them. And that's what you're going to see the rest of the year, and Lockett's been the efficient one so far. Metcalf's going to have his numbers. Yeah, they've, they've both been at 16 targets. The next highest target at Seahawks is Freddie Swain with six. So, I mean, that's that's what their passing game is going to be. You, and I'm not that worried about Metcalf. You like the concentrated targets. You like the fact that those guys are getting them. It's great for Lockett. I mean, it's great for Lockett, for sure. Absolutely, and I think you had a great point on, on the podcast with Sean Siegel about how Woods and Woods and Cup seem to have kind of swapped roles this year. Um, uh, maybe you could elaborate a little bit on that. Yeah, right. So last year and the last couple years, that was the routes point. Was that Woods was always the guy that was like always at 100 percent routes, and then some weeks based on matchup, whatever it was, he went to more two tight end sets. Cup would kind of bizarrely fall. He was mostly always up at like 95, 97 percent, but he sometimes fall to like 67 percent out of the blue. What we've seen the first two games is Cup at 100% both games. Woods at uh, 67% or something in week one, and then he jumped up to 97%. But even that was sort of notable where Cup was a 100% guy, Woods was a 97% guy. Back, I mean, there's no difference in terms of that's like one route, right? But back in the day, like the last year, the last couple years, if that was like where they were at, it would have been Woods as the 100% guy, Cup as a 97% guy. I really do think that whatever the roles are have flipped in terms of who they see as the guy they leave on in, in single wide receiver sets basically, right? Because Cup is uh, running 100% of routes now and all that. And then there must be you know, packages in their game plan. I haven't looked at all their formational stuff, but there must be some three tight end stuff that they've run or whatever where back in the day, the last year, the year before, it would have been Woods staying on. Now it's Cup staying on. Um, but Cup has always been better per route than Woods. And so, yeah, now that you have Cup staying on, it's it's very promising for Cup. But um, if Woods is going to be running basically the same amount of routes, I expect him to be okay, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think Woods is another, you know, a, a player that right now, if you're looking to make a title run in Dynasty, you might be able to get a little bit of a discount and uh, worth doing that. And one other player on the Rams, um, Tyler Higby, who week one looked like he'd be a very active uh, member of the offense, and then week two uh, took a big step back. I don't know if it was the game plan or not. Do you, do you have a take on, on Higby and your expectation of, of him moving forward? 
Not not a big one. I wasn't on him. I didn't take a lot of him. Because um, we are, like, I mean, your, your opinion on Higby falls down to your opinion on that five-game stretch two years ago, right? Like, it was yep. the most ridiculous five-game stretch, I, I think, ever for a tight end. I, he broke some records for how, how good he was for a tight end for five consecutive games. At the same time, every other stretch of his career going into this season told the story of, like, a nobody, basically. Like his targets per route run, everything. Last year they they cratered again, his targets per route run, his production, all of that stuff. Nothing has has rivaled in his career or even come close to, even going back to his prospect profile. He wasn't a huge producer in college. Nothing has come close to that five-game stretch. For me, it was I'm not buying that that five-game stretch is super predictive of anything. Um, if you go back to it, he played actually the best three matchups for a tight end he played them in four of the games he played the cardinals twice he played the seahawks and the cowboys they were the best three teams to face uh for tight ends that year uh and so four of his five games he had some really nice matchups and all this stuff my so broadly i wasn't really on him my take on higby is that he's not actually a guy who's going to earn targets at a really high rate that that five game sample was sort of a fluke uh it was matchup based all of those things Having said that, week one, he runs a ton of routes. He gets a bunch of targets, and you're like, okay. And then week two, he runs a bunch of routes again, and then he doesn't draw targets. So I can sit here and say, well, look, look at week two. He, he ran a bunch of routes, couldn't draw targets. That's what I you know, thought about Higby, but then someone else can sit there and say, look at week one. That's better than what he used to do. So, I mean, we, we don't know. He's running more routes. That's positive. Uh, I, I would say that. I should be. I, I'm higher on him now than I was during draft season. Just knowing he's running as many routes as he is, the question is, what can he do on a per route basis? And he's such a. I mean, like again, we have this five game sample that was Hall of Fame worthy, and then we have the rest of his career that we don't. It was like last week, one catch. We don't right. know what this guy is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to me, I, very, I had very him polarizing down. guy. Sorry, Dan. Yeah. To me, I had him down. Uh, you know. If he had been down in the, you know, the, like the Garant, Komet, Everett range of drafts, I would have been a lot more interested. Uh, where he was going in drafts above those guys, I, I really didn't pull the trigger on him anywhere. Uh, and, you know, to me, he's kind of like right now, kind of like Everett, in that he's running a lot of routes, which is a great thing, but he's just, you know, he's got to get those targets. And unless those targets come through, uh, you know, the rest of it just doesn't really matter that much. So. And, uh, and we got to give a shout out to uh, to Shelley, who um, is I, I have inside information that he says he's uh, three double marks into his flight. Uh, <laughs> so he's, he's having a good time and he's enjoying the show. So thank, thanks for listening, Shelley. Absolutely. And Higby's a polarizing guy. He was polarizing during the, the draft process. I think he's polarizing now for, for both uh, fantasy players and for analysts. Uh, it seems like kind of a big, big rubber match this week, um, you know, for a lot of these guys. I would think we're all really excited to watch the Bucks and the Rams, and hopefully we have a, yep. a high-scoring, fantasy-friendly game for everyone. Um, why don't we stick with the tight end position? Tight end seems like a bit of a mess right now after the top tier, and whether you consider, you know, Logan Thomas, Tyler Higby, those guys uh, towards the top tier, again, that's to everyone's discretion. Um, is there a low-end tight end one, maybe a, a tight end two, that you anticipate being super useful for the rest of the season? Um, maybe a guy who, who you know, you're seeing data-wise as a type of guy who might, might pop. 
I don't. I don't really have one that I feel amazing about. I mean, Jack Doyle. <laughs> I can't even say it. He's thirty-one. He, he ran 75% of the routes last week. He got eight targets. He looked very much like Carson Wentz's new Zach Ertz. Mm-hmm. He's, he's five years removed from it, but he did have an 80-catch season at one point. You know, the, For me, it's like the ability to consistently earn targets, the ability to consistently catch balls. Production begets production, right? And so when I see a guy, okay, Jack Doyle's 31. He's old. He hasn't done anything in his last few years, but he did have an 80-catch season. He's shown that at least over the course of a season. You know, and and how is that different than Tyler Higby? I don't know. It seems like it's the exact same point, but Doyle did it for a whole year. But yeah, Doyle hasn't done much in the last couple of years. I don't really like him. There's not a lot of other guys that I actually like betting on right now. I mean, I for me, like I want to go down to like Pat Freermuth, who his routes ticked up. He caught four passes last week. It was kind of interesting. Maybe he puts Eric Ebron on the back burner, like uh, Komet kind of did late last year uh, with Jimmy Graham. Komet also interesting. Um, I played him in some leagues last week, killed me, but uh, I still think he certainly has the the potential with with Fields starting now. But for me, it's got to be one of these young guys. And Joku has been running more routes than I expected. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe he makes some plays, but he's still like a secondary tight end. It's a gross position right now. Yeah, Yeah, it really is. And it it points out the value of just grabbing an elite tight end in a draft and, you know, and if you can't grab an elite tight end in a draft, don't be grabbing in those middle rounds. Uh, you know, just wait till the end and try to scoop up some guys and, and play matchups uh, as best you can or wait for somebody to pop off the waiver wire or, or whatever. But, you know, the, the about the worst thing you can do, I think, is to to grab one of those guys who really doesn't have the path to being elite but is still getting pushed up draft boards because they were just, you know, pretty good last year for whatever reason. Uh, you know, one of the things we talked about a couple nights ago was, you know, sometimes you see a, a player pushed into volume because of what happened in that offense um, the previous year, you know, like Logan Thomas got pushed, a lot of volume got pushed on Logan Thomas because there was nobody else. And, you know, what What we have to understand is that, you know, when that happens, a lot of times, you know, it, Logan Thomas might continue to get some good volume. I mean, he's a decent bet, but, a lot of times what happens is, you know, if, if it's like a Gary Barnage or something like that, you know, the, the team works actively to try to fix the problem that led to that tight end getting all that volume in the first place. So, yeah, that's um, a great point. I mean, that's a great point. It's exactly right. They do. They, they, the teams, that's what, they're, that's what they're thinking. Like, that's one of the like one of the things that fantasy players don't do enough is think about. I mean, we, we talk about like, you know, um, I think it's Sigmund Bloom's point about like the, the the assumption of rational coaching. We don't want to assume that. At the same time, like we can think about um, what are teams thinking and what are like what are what are they telling us with their moves and all these types of things. What do they want their offense to be like? What are they doing? You know that this is why I'm so excited about DJ Moore. It is so clear they went to the film in the offseason and said we were misusing him. We're going to use him different this year. Everything he's done through two weeks has been different than last year. And that, even more so than any of the production or anything we've seen through two weeks, that's indicative of what his you know, role in production could be going forward. I mean, people just don't think about like the, the actual football side of it. What does it mean? What are the teams telling us? What are they thinking? What are they doing? That point about Thomas is a great one. I, I, I'm actually kind of high on Thomas, but like I totally get mm-hmm. the point you're making. Like the, the team sees that. They go, look, we need to replace this. What do they do? They go out, they get Curtis Samuel. 
They draft Deami Brown, who's a really interesting rookie. Uh, I mean, Higby fits that. Mike Mike Kosicki fits this this discussion. They go out to get Will Fuller. They draft Jalen Waddle, and he's been uh, you know a nothing burger for the first couple of weeks. I mean, there's a lot of guys like that. I think it's a great point with uh, at tight end especially, where like you can have a big season just a little bit of volume falls your way or a little bit of efficiency in Gesicki's, uh, you know, case, he had a, a little bit of efficiency pop last, last year. I mean, and then, you know, maybe, maybe the team decides they need to get better receivers instead, <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. I mean, you know, and, and it, it goes across other positions too. You know, you don't want to grab that, uh, uh, that, that third down back who's, you know, gets pushed up into the mid round. Uh, you want to you want to be prospecting down in the later rounds for the the next guy because the odds are that probably uh, that that team didn't like throwing to that running back as much as they did, and so you just you need to they're going to try to move on, so you need to try to move on. Uh, you know, same thing can happen like with uh, you know slot wide receivers sometimes gobbling up a ton of snaps, and and uh, the team goes out and you know tries to grab a couple outside guys that are better than what they had last year so that they can push the ball down the field a little bit. Yeah, it's, it's a great point about the rational coaching. And I think you also have to look at certain teams seem to self-scout a little bit better. Um, so mm-hmm. I like your Fryer, yeah, I like your Fryer myth. Um, you know, we talked about him with Andrew Cooper two nights ago. Um, and it's a little bit like Claypool where Claypool was used kind of sparingly for, a, you know, a few games and then they had the bye week and then he kind of, exploded in usage so I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll we'll keep seeing that with Fryermuth. i have a lot of Fryermuth as well um and it seems like tomlin gets a little more faith in these rookies and and doesn't mind throwing them out there we all saw juju's rookie year you know how much opportunity he got after a few games deontay johnson's became a starter after a few games so i'm hopeful with Fryermuth, but it certainly is a, is a mess um, you know, when we're we're happy about Jack Doyle and uh, Jared Cook, you know, right? yeah. just at this point. So it's, I uh, never it's thought I would song. be doubting Jack Doyle in week three. There's oh, no it's so, part of me that was happening. It, it, it's so gross. But again, you know, it, the fact that he he is the new Zach Ertz. I mean, you know, he he runs like Zach Ertz. He falls down like Zach Ertz. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, every, everything matches perfectly. So it's you know. It, it, it feels gross, but you just got to sometimes get in there and, uh, you know, try to find those targets where you can. And now, you know, what what actually probably made him a little bit cheaper this week was the fact that uh, it looks like Wentz probably won't play. So, you know, I think people were laying him off, off him a little bit more than they would have. But in the FFPC, you'd have probably seen, uh, you know, a, a lot higher bids on uh, Doyle than, than what we saw if uh, Wentz was playing. And uh, yep. speaking of which, uh, we got to we got to get in a quick plug for the FFPC, one of our sponsors. Uh, you know, and I, I I'll just fire it real quick to you, Ben. I'm going to hit you cold with it. What it what are a couple of the things you really like about the FFPC? What uh, what what draws you there and uh, keeps you playing there? I love tight end premium. It's it's so much more fun in my mind that the positions get more balanced. I mean, I, I also very much like Superflex. They have great dynasty. They have the, the new Rotoviz uh, Triflex dynasty leagues are fantastic. Superflex, tight end premium. Um, yeah, I mean, it, I, that's that's like one of my absolute favorite parts of it, certainly. I mean, there's a, there's other elements as well, but that that would be the, the, the biggest thing that comes to mind. I love that about the format. The multi-flexes, yeah. I mean, are, are great, too. I mean, it, it allows you to take different paths. You know, I'm a big wide receiver drafter. I like that there are people out there that want to start four running backs, and they can. And 
they can do that. That's fun for them. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. It's, not, it's not my cup of tea, but it, it leaves receivers for me. So that's nice. Yep. Yep. That's the best thing about it. It, it, uh, it, it definitely can steer some people into some interesting builds that, um, you know, as you're watching the draft unfold, you're like, I don't know where they're going with this, but, uh, you know, Godspeed. Hey, man, if you got you got to plug in Mike Davis, you got to plug in Mike Davis. Uh, so we're, we, we've got to touch on we got to touch on running backs. And the, the biggest story right now for a lot of people in fantasy is Tony Pollard. It seems like we're, we're we're not necessarily seeing a changing of the guard in Dallas, but Tony Pollard looks like one of the best value running back picks in drafts so far. Do you expect him to continue to cut into Zeke's touches? Can we expect rational coaching in this situation? Well, yeah, I mean the the rational coaching thing is kind of interesting. The 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 point that some people have have definitely put out there on Twitter and other places that I think is very important is that Zeke is a really good pass blocker. So from a real football sense, you want him on the field on passing downs. They want to be a pass first team. He is an asset. He's not a net negative in that regard from everything that we're looking at as fantasy fans. We're like, man, he looks way slower than Tony Pollard. This dude picks up blitzes. Like, can we like tip our hat a little bit? I'm not even a Zeke fan. He has looked really good picking up some blitzes in the first two games. Like, if you're a football fan, you're like, man, he just puts his head in there and hits dudes. And he's been that way since he was a prospect. That was a big mm-hmm. thing coming out. As a rookie, people drafted him in the first round because he picked up blitzes. He was going to play on three downs, right, uh, on, on all three downs. Having said that, Pollard, number one, I don't think his snaps can grow that much because Zeke is still going to play on these passing downs because of his pass protection. The flip side, they are manufacturing touches for him. His touches per snap are incredibly high. Uh, whatever, like he had, I don't know what the number was this week, but uh, oh, you know what I do remember? It was 21 snaps. He had 16 touches on 21 snaps. This dude's on the field for five snaps where he didn't get the ball the entire game. And every other time he's on the field, like it's like when you're playing backyard football and you're like, okay, everyone guard, you know, the big kid. Like we all know they're giving him the ball. Like, it's kind of what the Cowboys are doing right now when they put Tony Pollard on the field. I think that part of it is actually sort of unsustainable. Some of Pollard's efficiency is probably a little unsustainable. I'm a huge Pollard guy. I have him in a bunch of leagues with these zero RB builds. I, I'm like, believe me, I want to see him be a superstar. I do think the production is going to be basically worse in some of these weeks coming up than we've seen. He's had some splashy plays these first two games. He's going to have some down games in the next couple of weeks because he's not going to get the monsters, the snap share because of the pass blocking. And he's not going to continue to be utilized as heavily, probably on a per snap basis. Like that's just a crazy rate or as efficient on his touches. He's been so explosive. I mean, it's going to be tough for him to continue to be productive. I, I think I'm going to, I'm going to use him in, in leagues this week where, you know, I need a, an RB two, but I do think, uh, that you're you're mostly still hoping for essentially for a Zeke injury if you really want to tap into his upside because I don't think Zeke's going anywhere if he's healthy. I think he's going to stay in there and and pass block and 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 steal you know steal the majority of the snaps basically. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be using Paul as well, and I think he's he's exactly the kind of guy you want for your flex. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be. Um, a little problematic in games where he maybe doesn't get the touches that, that are ne- that are necessary. But when he looks, it's so hard not to start him. 
Another yeah. guy who's oh, I'm sorry, he's Go, so sorry. explosive. No, yeah, no, I agree. He's just so explosive. I want that guy in my lineup. <laughs> like he, he's a weak winner. He's a weak. Winner. I mean, for me, on my like on my zero RB or my anchor RB teams, I'm deciding between him and James Conner, and it's like, okay, they're gonna get the same amount of touches, and this one can do that, and this one is James Conner, so I'm gonna take that one. <laughs> One more guy who we're all going to have trouble with start-sit decisions on that looks like an absolute superstar is Rondell Moore. Is it Rondell Moore season? Um, is, it, is he a weekly start, or is he the kind of guy where, you know, you want to kind of temper your expectations despite looking just phenomenal? Yeah, I mean, he, he – it's – it's there's I, – I think it's short-term – a little more bearish than people realize long-term you couldn't be more bullish. So the reason you should be a little more bearish short-term is he had a huge routes and snaps gain from week one to week two, but none of the receivers ahead of him lost snaps. They all gained snaps. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk, AJ Green, they all, their roles all expanded. The only reason Moore's role expanded is in week one, they did a lot of two tight end stuff. They did that less in week two. So we saw, Daryl Daniels, their third tight end, had 33% of the snaps in week one, and week two he only has 3%. That's where the 30% of snaps that went to Rondell Moore came from, essentially, and they went to the other receivers as well. More four-wide sets, less of these two tight end sets. And so so while Kingsbury is less of a fake sharp then for that, uh, can we can we at least call him a real sharp for understanding he should probably have Rondell Moore on the, on the field more than Daniels? Yeah, <laughs> that was that was a positive sign, absolutely. So the the reason that's sort of a sorry the beer's getting the reason that's sort of a, a short term bad news story is like anytime we see rookies start to grow their routes, the, the potential is there obviously for them to continue to just keep building this role. He, he's playing a part time role. We want him to play a lot more than than he's playing so far. It's it's certainly a, a positive that he took a step forward. I think he's going to continue to stay in this 50 to 60% snap uh, or, or routes, especially range. He's getting a ton of, he's sort of like Pollard. They're giving him a ton of touches per snap. His targets per run is through the roof. It's absolutely insane because they're manufacturing touches for him, jet motion, the tip passes that we see um, that we're talking about with like DJ Moore and Debo and those guys. I, and then, you you just you have to love what you've seen from an efficiency standpoint. And efficiency, I mean, these guys, the guys that wrote of his Blair Andrews and his wrong read article has has shown this. Efficiency leads to opportunity with young guys. It's a super important point that people miss. But run on more, number one, amazing prospect. Hit all the production profile metrics we can want. True fat freshman breakout in the Big Ten was fantastic, right? Then he comes in, he's immediately efficient and explosive. That's what it looked like for AJ Green in a part-time role in his rookie year. AJ Brown, excuse me, AJ Brown as a as a rookie in, uh, in a part time role early in his rookie year, and he grew into a larger role, and he was an absolute smash late in the season of his rookie year. That's what it looked like for Juju. You were just mentioning early in his rookie year, efficient in a part time role, and then the role grew, and then he smashed late in the year. That's what it looked like for DJ Moore as well, whose role grew, and he had a very strong late uh, run in his rookie year. That's what we want to see from these really strong prospects is that they're efficient early in their rookie year that they're good so long term i i mean i think they're, they're like i got a question from one of my subscribers over at stealing signals about trading rondell Moore, and i was like i don't i mean like he's completely off limits to me right now he looks like he could be the next justin jefferson he looks like he could be the next calvin Ridley. like this rookie 
that breaks out and is a star. A.J. Brown, every one of these guys, he's hitting all of the boxes that those guys had. Odell Beckham, whatever you want to say. Like, I mean, Beckham is the the unfair comp because he had the best rookie season ever. But Moore is looking like that in these first couple of weeks. This is what you want to see. He's doing things on limited work that are going to demand more work. And he's also showing us he can play immediately, right? And so all of that's very good. It's just slightly a concern about starting him like in week three that he's still fourth on the team in snaps and routes. That's that's the only issue that I have. Yeah, yep, we're uh, we're, we're super super excited about him as well. Um, it, it's a very it's very very hard to leave him on the bench bench this weekend after last game. It's uh it's a tough lineup decision, which we actually uh have to set our lineups pretty soon, guys, because we've reached eight yep. o'clock uh, on the hour here. Dave. Yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, uh, Ben, before we get out of here, uh, why don't you once again tell us uh, where people can find you, where they can find your work at, and uh, and we'll get you onto your lineups as quick as we can. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you can find the the newsletter at bengrush.substack.com. It's eight bucks a month to subscribe. Definitely appreciate all the support. Going it alone after you know, working for a lot of other people. And it's been a blast to, to do it on my own. So um, we have a cool little community. We just set up a Discord for paying subscribers too. So come uh, come join. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you you guys know where to find me and Theo. Uh, you know, <laughs> we're going to be right here all the time. You can find us out on Twitter. Uh, you know, our, our uh, you know, our handles, I think, are pretty well known. Um and uh, again, a huge thanks to our partners at the FFBC, Viridian Global, Dynasty Depot, uh, McNamara Dynasty, and mostly big thanks to you guys for watching, uh, smashing that subscribe button, hitting that like button. Uh, we really appreciate it. You know, we 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 go the extra mile here. You know, we we had a chance to get Ben on, uh, and we said, you know what, we got to do this, even though it's kind of a, a weird time to do a podcast. And uh, so, thank you all for tuning in. We'll keep bringing you the goodness, and let's go watch some football. Goat District, you know the Pope listens. Dynasty, our religion, for the blokes missing. On all of these trades, on all of these plays, on all of these grades. By the end of the day, y'all getting played, so... What you gonna do next? Try to fill up that flex? Send the homie a text? That trash off is the best? You try to make it complex? Then they text you back? Now all of a sudden they don't make any sense? <laughs> Broaden your horizons, boy. Dynasty's not for the Simons, boy. These trades not for consignment, boy. Respect your opponent, y'all some piranhas, boy. This my advice. From me to you, open up your cute little podcast queue. Search up GOAT District, my dude. Pop it in your ear, man. Y'all know what to do. It's the. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. And I always be traded. Y'all try to betray them, but first you gotta bait them. Fish. <laughs>